Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. In today's podcast, we're doing what is increasingly becoming one of my favorite formats, a Snakebird Profile. A snakebird profile is where we take time to examine a Bible character. Their ups, their downs, their decisions or indecisions, their motives, outcomes, the whole kit and caboodle. We take all of those things and we put them into an Instapot and see what cooks out and what we can glean from them through the eyes of a snakebird. So I have to ask, Stephen, who are we profiling today? Well, that's right, Snakebirds. Josh and I have been watching Judge Judy reruns all week in preparation for this profile today (laughs) because we are excited to present to you the Old Testament character of Deborah, who plays an extremely important part in Israel's history. Isn't that right, Josh? That's right. And uh, man, she comes from the book of Judges. There it is. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know what? Some of my favorite Bible characters are in this book. Yeah. One of them, his name is Shamgar, and he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Mercy. And then you have Ehud, who's like my personal uh, favorite because he's left-handed and he's a left-handed <laughs> warrior. And I was like, there are people like me in the Bible. <laughs> I'm, 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 I didn't <laughs> even know you were left-handed, Josh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm amphibious. No, you're an amphibious. <laughs> that's fantastic. I'm, I'm ambidextrous. <laughs> that, that's just, that's a skill in itself. Yeah. Well done. And then there's Gideon, the Frady cat who God used to deliver his people from the massive Midianite army, mm-hmm. or even Samson, the original Hulk, <laughs> who was led more with his passions than with his brain. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to say, as we come to the book of Judges, the Bible is not boring. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I would observe or one of my favorite uh, pastors have said is the Bible's not boring. We're boring or the way that we're choosing to read this. And and this story in Judges chapter four, much like we just uh, did when we profiled Philemon and Onesimus, is a story that you have to read in context and you have to interpret um, not only chapter four, but also chapter five in order to get the richness of the whole picture. Oh, yeah. And the the more careful you read it, the more the story comes alive. Really? Yeah. And and it just keeps jumping off the page. And, and I think we were joking earlier in the week where we both kind of said that this podcast for the next month could become the Judges 4 and 5 podcast because of how rich and every detail there is. And we could just sit there and dig at it and kind of expose it and talk about it because there's so much there. That's true. Yeah, we could, uh, man, it's going to be hard to try to, you know, stay grounded on some of this stuff because there's a lot we could pull out. Yeah. So, well, um, why don't we talk about where the children of Israel are at when we get to Judges chapter four, because they're coming from kind of a rough time right now, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, they are. Um, They've basically been enticed once again into the pagan worship system. Yeah. And uh, God hands them over to a a powerful king, pagan king, by the name of Jabin. Oh, man. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, they're going through this cycle state where they do rebel, repent, repeat. Yeah. You know, it's just basically that. Just keep going. Rebel, repent, repeat. Oh, yeah. New judge, they get delivered, rebel, repent, repeat. And it's just... This is happening almost throughout the entire book. And they did evil in the sight of the Lord through idolatry. And, and they had had 80 years of rest because of Ehud, my, my left-handed warrior dude. But then they strayed. And, and this is the kind of um, path that they're walking in where all of a sudden they experience this oppression in their lives, which God is allowing for them to wake up the, to, to know their need for him. And then all of a sudden they cry out. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to point out that this is a great example of religious reformation versus spiritual revival. Yeah. That unfortunately they have a temporary change versus a permanent transformation. And um, even in the beginning of this story, we find that tragically Israel cries out to God only to relieve their suffering, not to forgive their sins. And it's pointed out that had they truly repented, God would have done so much more than just to deliver them from their physical slavery. He would have liberated them from their spiritual bondage as well. 
And I was noticing that, of course, we always talk about our application at the end, but this quote from Wearsby hit me so hard. To only ask God for comfort and not for cleansing is to sow seeds of selfishness that will eventually produce another bitter harvest. Oh, wow. Yeah, that hits deep, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We see this played out so many times in the Bible. Um, And we tend to give Israel a hard time for falling away so many times, but you know, it's still very much alive today in mm-hmm. our lives. And, you know, perhaps we don't deal with pagan empires blowing tiger bomb on the city and hauling <laughs> us into slavery. But we, we really, we should remember that the same situation is playing out in each of our lives with the urge to lean into our uh, tailor-made sins presented uniquely to each of us. So we, we do indeed face bondage and slavery when we surrender ground to the enemy. Wow. Yeah. So, To even understand a little bit of what was going on during this time, you have to reference chapter 5, and it says in chapter 5, verse 6, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads, and travelers stayed on winding pathways. There were few people left in the villages of Israel, until Deborah arose as a mother for Israel. When Israel chose new gods, war erupted at the city gate. Yet not a shield or a spear could be found among 40,000 warriors in Israel. So it's kind of really bleak times yeah. happening during this oppression uh, from Jabin, the king of Hazor. That's true. And if you're wondering, I mean, there's a lot of different um, places in the timeline for Israel. This isn't the time where they had kings yet. No. Or a one single ruler. This is after they got into the promised land and they had judges. Yeah. And so, um, and, and one thing I would just point out at, at this point is um, the fact that Deborah, a woman, was a judge over Israel. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she acted as a king would act, hearing disputes, uh, counseling, making judgments. And um, I, I would just point out that Galatians, because this is a topic nowadays, you know, people talk about the sexism in the Bible and all of that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, we see in Galatians 3, 27 and 28, uh, neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. We see a, a little window into God's heart. And the last thing I want to do is start a debate over women's place in the church, because that's just not what this is about. No. But I want to point out that God uses both men and women equally in important ways. Um, scripture shows in many different ways, including the story we're going to be looking at, that women are used as a powerful instrument by God to accomplish His will and work. Yes. So I, I just wanted to point that out right off the bat because it's something to take note of. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you you see in like Romans sixteen one that there's a woman named Phoebe who was a deaconess in the church, and yeah. then um, Philip's daughters were prophetesses, and I mean, there's a lot of references of of God using women in the Bible, and I think it's really neat. Now we're as we get into it, we're going to talk about why Deborah might have been a judge, yeah. but um, I, I think you brought uh, an interesting point there, an interesting uh, observation. Yeah. So before we get deep into our story, should we talk about the cast of characters? Because we're going to see just a few different people that get introduced um, throughout this story. Uh, number one being like Deborah. Yeah. She's a judge and a prophetess. That's what the Bible says right off the bat. And I wanted to point out that if you're looking for what her name means in the original Hebrew, her name means B. Oh, isn't that a curious thing? It is. That's so cool. I thought that was cool. And then another um, character we've already mentioned is the oppressing king. His name is Jabin, right? Yep, Jabin. And then his commander uh, of the army is Sisera. Sisera. Yeah. yeah, he's a real sissy. No. <laughs> His name means battle array, which it's kind of interesting because um, while Jabin uh, was a tyrant and he possibly was even like the head of a confederacy of kings, mm-hmm. Cicero was like his heavy. He was the man on the street doing, you know, conducting the business. He was really the one out there making sure that the law was followed. I can't help but think of Marcus Aurelius in the movie Gladiator. Yeah. And, and who was emperor, but the real power was in the commander Maximus. Ooh, that's a, you know? that's a good analogy. Yeah, that's just where my mind goes. <laughs> Why do we bring up Gladiator every week? It's the best movie it ever. It is, yes. <laughs> what we do in eternity, or what we do in the present echoes in eternity, yeah. or whatever. I There's love so it. many great one-liners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my line! Uh, that's my favorite. 
favorite. So too good. And then what do we know about Sisera is that he has a huge arsenal of chariots of iron, 900 chariots of iron, which if we were to do a modern day equivalent, that's like Sherman tanks. Yeah. It's the top technology of the day. Yes. Yeah. By all means, because um, iron was so scarce in those days. And then to have it uh, in chariot, like tank form. And heavy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which we'll get to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. And so um, on on the, the bad side, you got Sisera as the commander. Mm-hmm. And then on Israel's side, you have a guy named Barak. Whose name should mean sissy. Yeah. <laughs> he was the military yeah, commander of Israel. So his name means lightning flash or lightning, but maybe it's flash because he was there and then he's like, I'm out. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> Dare I say a reluctant commander. Yeah. And then uh, Heber is another Heber, one. Heber. Uh, Kenite. Yes. Yeah. And his name is Comrade. That's oh, what wow. his name means. It's yeah. Russian. Yeah. Um, I found somebody who said his name means crossing over, but I thought Comrade was pretty cool. I like oh. Comrade better. Uh, <laughs> it's good to see you, Comrade. <laughs> yeah. He, he was looking out for the motherland in this story, too. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. That, you could. You, I, we'll we're get gonna, to it. We're going to get to we'll that. We'll get to it. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple schools of thought, as we say. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then his wife, JL. Is it? And I heard you earlier say yeah, 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 Yale? Yeah, Yale. Yeah, Yale. Okay, <laughs> my bad. There, there is a tool that I use online where there's a guy who has recorded every single pronunciation of words from Greek and Hebrew oh, in the Bible, and I I've listen to him, and I, I love it, but I can't say the. Way. I struggle with phonetics. Oh man, it's <laughs> well. Every time I come to a name or a word, I'm like, I know how to say it, and then I listen to him, and and he's yeah. saying it the correct way, and I'm like, uh, uh-uh, I wasn't doing it right at all. Every time so. I try to pronounce these words, I, I feel like the Pink Panther dude, dude <laughs> trying to say hamburger, hamburger, you know. <laughs> I, I can't. Say Well, uh, you know, I mean, as much as we want to say words correctly, I know people read them in their their own head. And so JL is just fine. Yeah. However you want to say it. We have enough trouble talking as it is. So (laughs) (laughs) that's right. Esteban. (laughs) What's your name? No. Esteban Julio Mastrano. Okay. Enough. Uh, Enough. uh, uh, Yeah. Do you know what her name means? (laughs) No, I don't. Mountain goat. Mountain goat. Yeah. What were her parents thinking? I got a sturdy goat of a wife. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, comrade and mountain goat. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's a a Russian couple if I ever heard one. No kidding. What was going on when they were born? (laughs) I don't know. Don't they usually pull names off of what was going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's not like Esau, which his name means hair. Yeah, you know, you could have named him Fervor. <laughs> okay, we're not gonna go. Yeah, there. okay. Well, how do you name your son Jacob, which means deceiver? Okay, okay. Yeah. Let's just keep moving on. <laughs> and then the last character in this cast is God. Yes, and we have to make sure that we mention Jehovah because he plays such a huge part in this story. Absolutely. And so, okay, so it says after Ehud had passed. Uh, the children of Israel, again, did s- s- evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And then his commander is Sisera. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because he had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he harshly oppressed them. Yeah. With 900 chari- chariots, it'd be easy to do so. Yes. Of course, with God's permission, but... Yeah, and, and that's the, what happened. Yeah, exactly. But honestly, I mean, this almost seems kind of like a slap on the wrist to me because think of the time in Egypt, the Egyptian oppression. I mean, hundreds of years. Oh, yeah. uh, 70 years in Daniel. Even the desert wanderings lasted 40 years. So this is a, this is a, a short time, you know, yeah. compared to some of them. Yeah. But still, it's oppression for 20 years. 20 years. And God hears them. Yeah. I mean, that's for me, that's like just... A little bit more than half my life right now. Yeah, a long time. That is, yeah. But after 20 years, God decided they had had enough through the form of prophecy. He sent word to his prophet Deborah. That's right. Which is very fascinating to me. We just don't hear of women prophets in the Bible until now. No, 
No. Or and, do we? Am I missing a, a woman that has been a prophet before? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the first one. I but think it, it is. It, regardless, it's not very often. And um, I think it shows yet another example of God um, working in a countercultural way. Um, he doesn't play by the rules. He is the rule. That's right. So love to see that. Yeah. And, you know, as we find out more about Deborah, it's interesting to see that she's a woman judge. Because not only can she act out of a heart of grace, which is like a mother, she also acts out of humiliation, which is like a woman leader. And and it's kind of interesting to think about this because um, the question that was posed is, is she in leadership to humiliate the Israelites? Because this is a male-dominated society, and they're used to mature male leadership and then we find that God raised up this woman named Deborah. And mm. I mean, think about almost like having to come like a child and go, um, I need your help or I need yeah. some counsel. And I mean, it, it might have been very humiliating for some. That's definitely a vantage point. Because what yeah. was the prophet that had to marry a, a prostitute? Yeah. And uh, Hosea. Hosea. Yeah, I'm real rusty on that, but <laughs> but that's kind of a form of that of a, of a humiliation to get a point across. Yes. So yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, and and again, the heart of a mother who maybe understood where these where the nation was coming from, and and I really have to say this when you think about her role in this, she is a snake bird. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she's an encourager. She's a judge. She's a leader. She's, she's the bomb.com man. (laughs) Yeah, for real. (laughs) She even had a palm tree named after her of what she would sit under to get these judgments that people would come to. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Like that was her spot. Yeah. In the hill country. And she's the wife of Lapidoth. And his name, <laughs> his name means torches. I don't know what that has anything to do with anything, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then the fact that she's a prophetess means that she heard the voice of God, and then she proclaimed that voice, that word, that edict of what he had to say. Yeah. And as we'll see, she actually can tell the future, too. Oh, that's pretty cool, yeah, It's pretty it? cool, yeah. 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 All and senses of the word prophecy. There you go, right? Yeah. yeah. Multifaceted. Yeah. And then I guess we're introduced to uh, to Barack around this point, aren't yes. we? Yes. Yeah. Um, De- Deborah sends word for Barack, who was, as we said, the military commander of Israel, and she has a word from God to tell him. Uh, God told me that you're to go with ten thousand men from the sons of Naphtali and Zebulun to Mount Tabor or Tabor, either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, to draw out Sisera, this commander of the opposing side with 900 chariots. Which, I mean, I don't know how many men that they had on their side, but I'm assuming it's a ton more than just 10,000. And again, that 900 iron chariots gives them an incredible military advantage. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, and it almost seems like Barack had even heard from the Lord himself, but she's more confirming it because she says, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, or maybe she's already given him this word. And and we go in to talk about how he's a bit reluctant as it is. And so she says, go and meet him and, uh, and his chariots at the river Kishon, and will I not deliver him into your hand? And what is Barack's uh, response to her right here? Well, this is one of those embarrassing moments where you almost blush for someone because you feel so sorry for them. <laughs> I mean, we see this commander of an an army. Um, he's frightened. He actually says to Deborah, if you will go with me, then I will go. Hmm. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. You may have remembered the bully in elementary school insultingly saying, don't be a girl. Well, Barack would have been a step below that insult right here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you play ball like a girl. No. Yeah, yeah. He would have been a step below that. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of those. Okay, because she goes on to say, I'll go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey that you are taking. Mm-hmm. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Yeah. And this is an interesting, we'll see later, a twist. Yeah. Because it's pretty clear what's being said here. You know, all right, you're not going to go. You're not going to get the credit. A woman will. Yeah. We assume she's talking about herself. Yeah, that that is true. So it's kind of, it's going to hang on to that because yeah. that, that comes into play later. Well, and right here, I want to say that, you know, if you're wondering if God is telling you to do something, 
like Barak maybe, I want to say first and foremost that God's commandments are his enablements. Mm-hmm. God's commandments are God's enablements. And so we don't know why he was reluctant. We don't know if it was fear or maybe again, humility or maybe um, unbelief, but God didn't put the kibosh on it necessarily. He just changed the honor outcome. He said, this time, because of your hesitancy, it's going to go to a woman instead of you. Yeah. And so I thought it was really interesting that Deborah's like, hey, if I'm having to go to this battle, I'm in. Yeah, that's true. Leaders lead. Yeah. And they're confident because they know who's on their side. Yeah. Yeah. And it's right here that I want to point out that um, chapter four of Judges and chapter five, we said this before, but they're a companion. And um, I don't know if you've read the superscript in uh, chapter five, but it says it's a song of Deborah. And I've always read it that way. But as I was reading it this time, as we were studying, I didn't realize this, that it's a song of Deborah and Barak. Oh, wow. And so I started to think that it's like the the most early rapper, um, pop star collaboration we've ever seen. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Deborah sings the hooks and Barack raps the verses. And it kind of <laughs> reminds me of like a 90s Will Smith movie where he, he has a song that recaps the movie. Because, <laughs> I mean, as they're going through... They tell the whole story again, but in really poetic form. Yeah. And they're adding a lot of um, elaboration to, or not even elaboration, but a lot of color that we don't just get from the story um, yeah. in poetic form. And so I'm really excited to bring uh, different glimpses of chapter five into chapter four as we go because of this collaboration. And um, I think it's neat too, because they wanted to put it into a song so that the young people of Israel would be able to remember it and they'd be able to teach it to their children and their children and their children. And this song would uh, help them have their history in their heart as they knew what God did and how he delivered them from Jabin and Sisera. Yeah, that's been happening for a long time. And yeah. that, that's originally in scripture. You know, it's like the whole leg bone connected to the hip bone thing. Yeah, yeah. You, you got to get the kids to remember it. Yeah, exactly. And so this whole week I've been going through trying to sing up like weird random versions of chapter five, <laughs> like to Angel and rapping to her. And she's like, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your wife? Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> to my wife, Angel. <laughs> exactly. So, okay. Yeah. So yeah, chapter four, it's, it's like a bird's eye view of the story. While chapter five, it kind of pulls some more details. Yes. So yeah. And gives some different color commentary and all that thing. Different yeah. uh, enunciations. Like, I don't know. That's not the right word, but you know what I'm saying? I do. Okay. So, after this boys are better, girls are better standoff, the plan actually goes into motion. That wasn't a correct representation. I'm just being cutesy. But um, we are introduced now to the first pawn brought forth in this chess game, and his name is Heber. And the Bible doesn't usually identify a man by his wife, but mm. it does in this instance. And just keep that tucked away in the old memory box because it'll it'll play out shortly as well here in a second. This is like a multifaceted story. It right? really is. Yeah. But um, one one thing about Heber here is uh, verse 11 says that uh, his people were from the sons of Hobab. And then it is mentioned that Hobab was the father-in-law of Moses. I real just real quick want to mention this because I never want someone to, to think we skipped over something. Yeah. Um, this is the third name we find in the Bible for the father-in-law of Moses. And this is, um, without getting into the weeds, there's a pretty simple explanation for these. Uh, much like Jacob was also known as Israel, Jethro was also known as Ruel, uh, which is another name we find. This is no different than Brother Josh here, who also goes by the name of Bible One Kenobi because of his <laughs> Bible wit. But uh, the, the name Hobab here in Judges, uh, some translations like the in New Living Translation and the NIV have translated it brother-in-law because of the placement in, of consonants in the uh, identical Hebrew word. So I wanted to mention that as we go through this, this, you know, hermeneutics or whatever for the Bible geeks out there. Exactly. But I wanted to mention that with this uh, Heber fellow, because it does mention um, this, this other father-in-law of Moses. Hmm. Anyway, that all behind us, this fellow Heber, he plays uh, the Lone Ranger by camping far away from his people so that he can have, would you call it a sneaky interaction with Sisera? Yeah, yeah. Is that kind of what's going on? It seems like it, because, I mean, 
for me, as I was reading it, I'm like, do we insert dramatic music here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> all of a sudden he's he's pitched his tent under this terebinth tree at Zainim or Zananim, uh, which apparently is a famous tree because it's mentioned a few different places. But you have to ask yourself, is he a spy? Is he a turncoat? Yeah. Is he a Benedict Arnold? Um, honestly, it was kind of hard for me to pinpoint exactly what was going on with this guy yeah. when I first started yeah. reading. Well, and, and it definitely seems like he has an allegiance with Canaan versus oh, yeah. with uh, the Israelites. And some other pastors or some other commentators asked if he was used by God as a trap mm -hmm. or... Was he trying to just maintain a neutral position in a divided society? And I think all of those things can kind of give us um, a lot of interesting application, you know, just talking about uh, a guy that's trying to ride the fence and thinking about Jesus's words that you can either only serve one master or another. And he, he seemed to have made his choice, but we're yeah. going to find out that his choice may not have resonated so well with his family. I hadn't thought about the lukewarm scenario, but yeah, that's true. Yeah. It is kind of a fence sitting situation. Yeah. But he basically, he, he's, you know, parked far away from his people. He basically tells Sisera, Hey, I don't know what you, if you've heard, but old Barack has gone up to Mount Tabor and has a whole bunch of guys with him. He's a tattletale. Oh yeah. 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 He's like, something's going on over there. I just wanted you to know. You didn't hear it from me. <laughs> yeah, you didn't hear it here, but... <clears throat> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so Sisera, um, having received this precious piece of information, gathers together all of his chariots. He's He's been out there shining them all and making sure that they're all in running condition. And so <laughs> he, uh, he gets all of his soldiers together and he goes up to a place called Hirasheth Hegoim, or Hagim. <laughs> you had it better the first time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. Um, let's just say to the river Kishon, that's in verse 13, if you're following along. Yeah. Which which Deborah, she seems to know that all this stuff is going to fall in line. Yes. Because she, she tells Barak, go ahead and arise, head down to the mountain. Let's get this face off going. Yeah, get ready, get up. Yeah. And, and I love the words that she says. It says, has not the Lord gone out before you? Oh, yeah. And so Barak went down from Mount Tabor with his 10,000 men following him. And um, I wanted to point this out because this is something that I found really interesting. Um, Barak moved his armies to a battleground where they were at a disadvantage because oh. they were on Mount Tabor. Yeah. And then they went down to like a valley next to a river. You got to have the high ground, boy. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's that's exactly what I said. I mean, it's like he went down. He had the high ground, Anakin. You know? <laughs> and uh, I mean... That's a God thing. Yes, exactly. And, and you think about it, it's like they went down to a disadvantage to show God's victory and it would be all the more glorious. Oh, yeah. And this has, for me, David and Goliath implications written all over it. Right. No kidding. Yeah. And then even as we referenced back to like chapter five, it says that, uh, um, I read it already, but it says that there were not a shield or a spear found among 40,000 children of Israel. They had, they didn't have any iron. They didn't have any weapons. Like my, one of my heroes, Shamgar, he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad Yeah, because he didn't have a sword. Yeah. Or or what about the the ancient form of a nuclear bomb with trumpets around yeah, Jericho? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's yeah. just God's way. Exactly. Or Gideon, you know, the way that they won was by breaking clay pots and using torches. Yeah. Samson, what did he use? The jawbone of a donkey. Yeah. And through all of that, I couldn't help but think of David's uh, speech to Goliath. You know, in thinking about the limited arms that they have. This is what David said. And it always pumps me up because he said, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, you know, basically Goliath was decked out in everything that he needed. But David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied today. The Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescued his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's 
Lord's battle and he will give you to us. And that's exactly what you said is that Barak went down. He had the high ground. And it and it's just, you know, if you're asking like, why was this such a, um, a, a change? It's possible that, and, and just logical that chariots would have had more issues on Mount Tabor on the mountain slope versus a level ground right, right next to a river. But that's where God wanted to move. And that's where the waters were. Oh yeah. Yeah. It really, it's familiar territory, isn't it? Yes. That's, that's how God works. And, and to your point, you know, verse 15 says that the Lord himself routed Sisera's army. And uh, I found it interesting that the Hebrew word for routed is hamam, which means uh, to make a noise, move noisily, confuse, or discomfit. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of a weird yeah. word. Yeah. But um, it's, it's cool because in, in Deborah's song, she writes in, in Judges 5, 4 and 5, the earth quaked, the heavens also dripped, even the clouds dripped water. And it says the mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord, this Sinai, at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And then she even continues on later in chapter five, where in verses 20 and 21, it says, they fought from the heavens, the stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away, that ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. And and what's important to realize is that through this story, what we don't get told to us in chapter four is that all of a sudden here comes Barak and his 10,000 men to meet on a battlefield with Sisera with his 900 iron chariots. And you think it's going to be a slaughter. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you hear tap, 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 (laughs) tap. And it starts to rain. Yeah. And then it doesn't just start to rain. It starts to pour. And then it starts that hamam word mm-hmm. where, you know, there's the vex, the trouble, the consume, the crush, the break. We don't know exactly all that happened. Yeah. But I mean, I saw one pastor said that possibly God used hailstones and thunder or maybe another noise. But whatever he did, he sent flash floods to make these iron chariots ineffective and more of a stumbling block than a Sherman tank, more of an obstacle than an advantage. Because what is the one thing that we find that chariots can't do? They can't go through mud. Yeah. This, I mean, evidently, this was not the type of battle where God just allowed one side to win. Yes. Uh, God himself, in a visible way, like the scene at Sinai, which is why I think she mentioned that in her song, um, God himself quaked the ground, mm. poured rain for these you know, heavy chariots to get stuck in. It was a visible thing. Yeah. Yeah, and Quite I was seen. Yeah, I mean, it, that's one of the ones that we're gonna have to want to watch in the annals of history and the oh, annals yeah. of heaven just to see what it was like. But I mean, all of a sudden, these guys that had this huge advantage, maybe this charioteer who's like, "I'm gonna take all the all these Israelites out." All of a sudden, he's just like, "Go!" Yeah, and it's just stuck. And he's like, "Oh no!" And they're just running at him, just oh, yeah. full on. And what we find out is, as we read chapter five, we find out that thirty thousand Israelites from other tribes joined the battle, mm-hmm. and they just rushed in, kind of like scarab beetles, just coming through and just <laughs> yeah. washing over the uh, the army there. And I thought uh, I couldn't help but think of Psalm twenty. Uh, verses six through eight, it says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Mm. Now you want to hear something else that's crazy about how God chose to deliver the children of Israel through this? Yeah. Okay. So it's the Canaanites, right? Yeah. And they got their 900 chariots. And who do they serve? They serve Baal. Baal, yeah. You know what Baal was supposed to be the god of? What? Weather. Look at that. And all of a sudden, here comes that tap, 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 <laughs> tap, 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 tap. And all of a sudden, this flood. And the Canaanite god is supposed to be the weather god. Oh, the irony. How stinking awesome is it that it's Jehovah God that decided to flex on them and reveal his power through torrential rain. And this might have also even killed their fighting spirit. All of a sudden, because of their their devotion to Baal, they might have looked up and been like, he forsook us. Oh, yeah. And they might have lost all desire and all will to fight. Yeah. As just... 
That's not only a, a, a instance where God is saying, I'm fighting for my people. It's also, look who's the real God. Yeah. To them. Uh, yeah. He, he's talking to both parties here. Yeah, writing his name in the heavens through torrential rain and hail and, mm-hmm. and thunder and all those things. Yeah, so this battle, it's immediately recognized by both parties who, who the winner is. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and this is this is where uh, Cicero jumps ship, isn't it? Yes, yeah, Cicero he he realizes that it's not going well, and so he decides it's time to get out. Yeah, and Barak he he pursues every last chariot at this point, and Cicero is fleeing the scene, and he's he heads towards the tent of Jael, doesn't he? Yes, he fled towards Hazar, again towards this oak, this famous tree. And uh, it's mentioned in Joshua, and it's about six miles east. Oh, wow. He's booking it. He's scared. <laughs> he had quite a run. Yeah. Yeah. Which, the what happens next makes me laugh all the more, because he's <laughs> run six miles. Yeah. And so, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm getting... So... It makes me laugh. Angel, Angel, my wife, Angel, walks into the room, and I've just been thinking about this, and I'm laughing and grinning from ear to ear, and she's like, what are you laughing about? And I was like, you'll hear it in about 10 weeks, you know, or whatever. <laughs> That's great. It is. It's it's comical almost yeah. because um, remember, Jael is the wife of Heber, who was the, the dude that warned Sisera, yeah. you know, that this you, that Barak was preparing the, the troops. And so Sisera is still under the impression that they are friendlies with him. Yeah. And he comes straight up to their house because they're supposed to be peace between their houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they had a history. <laughs> it was and, historical. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But Jael tells Sisera, she's like, hey, come hide in the tent. Come over here. So he does. Yeah. He heads over there and he's like, I need some water. Yeah. Like now. Well, in first and foremost, he's run six miles and she covers him with a blanket. Yeah. And he, boy's tired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he's probably really hot and sweaty too. Yeah. Which I think is hilarious. Which you need water for that. Yeah. But also, um, it's interesting that he chose this hiding place because culturally it would be unacceptable for a man to enter a woman's tent except her husband. Oh. And so, first of all, he shouldn't have gone in there. Yeah. But then as he realizes where she's hidden him, he says, this is the perfect place to hide. Yeah. Because nobody's going to come looking for me in her tent. That's true. And so... This is like the second step of cowardice. Exactly. First fleeing the, yeah. the battle. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I've got a little list here about his... Uh, his... His... His sissery? Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Okay. So, yeah. He's... Yeah. First he asks for a hiding. Then yeah. she puts a blanket on him. And then what happens? Okay. So he says, I need some water. So naturally she gives him milk. Yeah. <laughs> which is odd. It's like the worst thing well, for Well, this him. is where I was laughing because he just ran six miles. He's probably... <laughs> adrenaline to his eyeballs in terms of how things have gone yeah he's scared out of his mind because his his whole world's crumbling you know his unbeatable undefeatable army with these tanks just got wiped out and he wants water because he's thirsty yeah what does she give him she gives him milk and it's not milk like you and i would think no it's it's like almost it's got to be room temperature curdled Almost like yogurt consistency milk. So we're talking like this is akin to Michael Scott eating Alfredo before the run. <laughs> yes. This is this yeah. is no good. This is like carbo loading two minutes before you run a marathon. This is a bad I idea. I mean, you you <laughs> Yeah, this is not refreshing. This is like oh so I guess he accepts it and he's like, okay, I'll drink this. You go stand at the tent and keep watch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he goes, if, if they say to you, is there any man here? You shall say no. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's under this blanket. Mm-hmm. And um, she, instead, instead of playing the decoy, she does something different, doesn't she, Josh? Yeah, because what does milk do when we're trying to, to rest? Typically, it puts us to sleep. Yeah. And so next thing you know, old Sisera, maybe all of a sudden he had an adrenaline dump and he crashes out. Yeah. And she grabs herself a good old fashioned tent peg and hammer. Yeah. Sneaks over there and she drives this tent peg into his temple all the way through into the ground. Yeah. With a hammer. This is an Amazon woman. It's awesome. That's intense. And this is also where we see that Deborah certainly was a prophetess. Right. Because she said that 
the the uh, honor would be to a woman mm-hmm. and we thought i thought that it was going to be her yeah but it's not her yeah when you start the story you're like oh yeah naturally. she's speaking like third person yeah deborah will get the victory but you it's know? not it's yeah. jael no it's jael yeah and uh she's a snake bird man this is oh, yeah. this is this is awesome i don't know if you came across this but she was good with a tent peg and a hammer because eastern nomadic tribes uh, it was the women who were responsible for putting up and taking down the tents. She, so she could wield it. She she was like Thor. I mean, she knew what she was doing with, oh, man. with her hammer and her tent peg. She was skilled. Man, that's brutal. Yeah. And so you think about for Sisera to be the uh, to be defeated by an army of people without weapons. That's bad. <laughs> and then for a captain to flee from the battle. That's embarrassing. To be killed while fleeing is humiliating, and then to be killed by a woman, disgraceful. Oh, man. But it's all fulfilling God's promise that through a, uh, that a woman would get the honor uh, of victory over this, um, this, our, this enemy of Israel. Yeah. And I couldn't help but think about it through like a Lord of the Rings um, standpoint is that the victory will be in the hands of a woman. And I was thinking of the witch king of Angmar, the the one of the, the king of the Nazgul, as he's killed by Eowyn. And he's like, I cannot be killed by a man. And she goes, I am no man. And, you know, and she stabs him in the face. And it's just like, you know, I remember my friend Beth in the movie theater stood up and was like, ah, you know, she wow. was all excited. It was a It was a pretty cool moment, you know. That's funny. But, yeah. And I wanted to point out another spiritual example here or a spiritual application here. And I thought this was really interesting because I've heard it from a couple of different pastors. Um, apparently, uh, Charles Spurgeon taught a message on this is that he said that Sisera is like a type of sin in our lives, in the life of a Christian. And he comes and, and, and he wants in and he starts making demands. He's like, give me some water. Give me some room to work. Hide me. And all of a sudden, Yael being a Christian, JL being a Christian, she doesn't give in to his demands. She says, instead, I'm going to give you milk. And it's the milk of the word. And it's not refrigerated. It's lukewarm in this, in this scenario. And it puts him to sleep. It's what we use to combat sin. Oh, and no. then all of a sudden, she puts it to sleep. She makes it ineffective. And then what she does is she kills it by nailing that sin to the cross of Christ. And what the encouragement was through all of this is don't rest until that sin is dead. Hmm. And it's crazy to think of the implications of JL here is that she broke an allegiance that her husband had. Yeah. And you have to wonder, you know, how does this affect her going forward? Because culturally what she just did was so out of the box and yet we see in chapter five that she is praised up and down the pages of scripture for what she's done and um even we find out that she might have seen the the canaanite ramifications on the children of israel and um just reading further and we'll kind of talk about this um her actions seemed almost criminal, but she knew that Javan and Sisera had been guilty of mistreating the Jews for years. And if the Canaanite army had won, hundreds of Jewish girls would have been raped and enslaved. Oh, wow. And so her actions, it was like putting sin to death. Yeah. And so... Two scriptures that come to mind as you were talking about that is uh, resist the devil and he'll flee from you mm-hmm. and death where is your sting. Yeah. That's just, yeah, there's so much to draw out of that. There is. I mean, this is why we said this could be the Judges chapter four and five podcast for the next several weeks if yeah. we just stopped and yeah. dug and dug and dug and took the time about it. So yeah, we're not doing that. No, but, we're but, not. But and, uh, unless you'll request it at another date. And then yeah. We'll, we'll take it there. So, I, and I also just, before we move on to like the end of the story, I wanted to point out that, um, so we said that JL, she fed Sisera milk. And so don't mess with mama milk. And then Deborah means bee. And so it's like, don't mess with mama bee. And guess what you get with that? It's the land of milk and honey, which is the land that God promised the children of Israel. It's milk and honey, Man, Jael and Deborah. So that's crazy. I thought that was really cool. 
That's awesome. I love it when God hides that stuff in Scripture. Oh, yeah, right? So cool. All right, well, so from this point, um, Barak actually runs up on the scene while pursuing Sisera, and he sees Jael run up to meet him, and she, she tells him, Come check out what I did. I got something to show you here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he he finds out what uh, what she did, and that the honor was indeed given to a woman. And from this point, uh, chapter four twenty four tells us that uh, they pushed heavier and heavier upon the official king of this army, Jabin, until he was too killed. Yeah. So they they finished it off. They you know went all the way. Yeah. But uh, the the Judges chapter 5, I mean, it records a lot of details mm-hmm. that we could even go into, even in this region as well. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much the, the end of the story, isn't it, Josh? It is. It is. I think we'll make a few observations from Judges chapter 5 as we kind of mop up the whole story. But yeah, I really captivating um, narrative from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's a, it's a story that needs to be like put into a movie. It really could be, yeah. yeah. And I just I again, you started with it about the equality in Christ and I I just love that like one of the main judges right off the the bat from the book of judges is a woman. Yeah. And and she's not painted in like a negative picture or anything. She's she's actually very wise and she's very um uh steady and she's got a great heart. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. It it is. It's something to point out. It's it's countercultural and that's what God does. Yes. He's he doesn't play by the rules. He is the rule. Yes. And exactly. he uses who he uses to bring him glory. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So do you got any takeaway points, Josh? I do. I have several. I wanted to just, um, can I point out a few funny things from chapter five before we just dwell completely on our application? Yeah. Uh, So a couple of things. If you're you're into reading chapter five, I wanted to say that we find that Naphtali and Zebulon were in the fray from the beginning. That was that 10,000 men that Barak had. Mm -hmm. And then later on, um, different volunteers from different tribes joined in like Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh, the West side and the West side (laughs) and Issachar joined in, um, probably again for the mop up, um, campaign. But then they also really made sure that they were like, uh, and where were you Reuben and Dan and Asher and Manasseh East? Like they really made sure to call him out. And so I thought that was really funny. And uh, really interesting because we've talked about um, the implications of the the tribes that stayed uh, on the east side of the Jordan and what that meant and why they they had committed to saying, we're going to come and fight in the battles of the main campaign. And so the fact that they didn't. And then I really like the end of chapter five because it talks about the mother of Sisera is looking through the window and she cries out through the lattice. Why is his chariot not coming? Uh, what tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wise ladies answered her, yes, and she answered herself, Oh, are they not dividing the spoil? And are they not finding themselves a girl or two? And he's looking through all their precious garments, uh, picking me out a couple dresses, and uh, he's finding some really nice pieces of jewelry for me. And this is <laughs> and- the wife of... Of Sisera? The mother. Oh, the mother. The mother of Sisera is sitting out her window going, where's my son? He's coming home soon. I know it. And he's just, he's just getting some really nice stuff for me. And I just thought, man, that is savage. Cause it's like, he ain't coming home cause he messed with the God of Israel y'all. And I just, I was like, (laughs) wow. And so, I mean, just, just the, the whole song of praise and talking about what God has done. And and even in just the encouragement that they say is like, Hey, let anyone who knows the story, go out and tell it and let that light shine, you know? And that's all about just like, Hey, you have something good to say about God. Make sure you don't keep that to yourself. Make sure you share that. And so I know we're already sounding like we're saying application, but I thought that was such a neat thing. It really is. Yeah. And again, that's the whole part of reading chapter five, like a snake bird is understanding what it's saying and, and grasping it because at first read, it just seems like a poetic 
thing that yeah. you could just be like, oh, it's another psalm and just run right past it and miss a lot of the depth of and the riches that is that are in those pages. Yeah. No, we, we would encourage you to, to go back to this uh, story. It starts in chapter four, Judges 4, 1, all the way to 531. And read it through and you'll you'll see so many details in this song and it's just it's an amazing story it really is yeah it's awesome yeah so um i guess if we're ready to jump into some application here let's do it yeah um one thing that that really jumped out to me um i to sum it up in a couple words just embrace your identity and for us that would obviously be in christ but um deborah being in the position she was in doing the things that she did, it was against the current to say the least. Yeah. I, it just wasn't even, it wasn't normal for the day. It, it wasn't, um, it was countercultural as I said already, but she was so confident in her judgments and actions because her identity and authority came from God. Mm. And this is exactly the position each of us should take in our confidence uh, Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And um, that, yeah, I would say that for, for sure is embrace your identity in Christ, knowing that who is on your side, uh, who could be against you. Yeah. Amen. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, I I mentioned it already, and I just want to revisit it for just a second. When you're talking about the children of Israel falling into this oppression, when they started to cry out for God, we realized that, again, it was just asking for a temporary change versus a permanent transformation. And we have to just continue to do that heart check, is asking ourselves, have we modified our behavior because of a figure of authority in our lives? Or have we truly changed because of something that's taken place in our heart? And we have to recognize the difference between temporary change and permanent transformation. And I couldn't help but think of James chapter 1, verse 7, talking about the double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways. And that's the guy who says, I'm going to act like this because I need to and because I, I think God expects me to and, and does this for a little while. And all of a sudden, he just switches right back. And, and there is no foundation in that. Versus someone who has had a heart transformation, who has received Jesus into their lives. And so I think we just have to just do a heart check on saying, is it real in my life? Is it a real change? Amen. Yeah, that's some great application. And uh, another one that comes from um, chapter 5, verse 2 and 5, 9. Uh, because Deborah is in her song and Barak in their song is saying, when leaders lead, and then it continues on, who offer themselves willingly for the people. And I think it's so cool because it says when leaders lead in the capacity that God instructs them, he moves. And if you're a leader, you have to ask yourself, or we have to ask ourselves, are we leading like Jesus? Because what we find is that God picks the leader, then he enables the leader, then he sets the parameters, then he gives instruction, and then he says, unleash. He says, go out and operate in those gifts that I've given you. And I love that saying that Deborah said to Barak, she said, has not the Lord gone out before you? Or the New Living Translation says it, the Lord is marching ahead of you. And so if you're a leader in any capacity, lead. Yeah. Lead. I mean, it's such a neat deal that that God wants um, for you and for us as we're called to that. Or if you feel that the Lord is calling you to lead, maybe you're not there yet. Yeah. Remember, he uses so many times, we've seen it, uh, the least capable. Yes. Because that's how he gets the glory. So if you feel that call, uh, that's for you too. Not many mighty, not many wise. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, and then um, Satan not wants to only oppress the Christian, but he also wants to disarm the believer. And we found that here in that picture illustration of the children of Israel, that they didn't have a spear or a shield amongst 40,000 of them. And we just did that podcast about the, the armor of God. And that's something that's available to us daily. And so we want to make sure that we take that up and not allow Satan to disarm us. It's so true. And then God doesn't always win the battle through the means that we think he will. And so sometimes he chooses, here's a good word, to befuddle us or even strip down the odds to make the victory even more inconceivable. We think of like Gideon 
or Joshua and Jericho or Jehoshaphat putting the musicians and the worshipers in the front of the battle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, things that we wouldn't really say makes a lot of sense, but God says, I can win through this. And a lot of times you just have to stand back and watch him move and um, just be obedient. Amen. And then I want to ask, where do we stand on the war on sin and bondage to it? Because JL took her stance and made it very clear, even in a divided household, even in the, the, with the, the thought of Heber coming back and going, I didn't give you authority to do that, which for culturally a wife to do that, she might've had some really heavy ramifications afterward. Oh, he yeah. might've beat her. He might've um, divorced her. Who knows what would have happened, but I I have to believe that in this story, God would have stood with her and would have held her upright in this. But we have to, even in the midst of making a decision on um, our family, Jesus said, you have to love me more than your family. And I I think when it comes to, to sin, we have to fight it in our hearts and we have to be ready to fight. And that's one of my last points is that... Um, is that Reuben pondered joining the fight. That's what it says, is that he sat there and he had great resolves of heart and he had great searchings of heart. And I think of people that are on the fence about Jesus and should we be in this? And the whole time that he thought, guess what he didn't do? He didn't act. Yeah. And so if God is calling us to move or God is calling us to join the fight, answer the call. Yeah, we're not you know, promised tomorrow. We're not. That's exactly it. Today is the day of salvation. Okay, and then the, this is more of a not. It's it reminded me of um, our Balaam, but uh, Miraz um, is mentioned in Judges chapter five, and it says, "Curse Miraz," said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord to help. Uh, the Lord against the mighty. And so I was thinking um, it means uh, it's for the shirker. And what an insult uh, for him who is willing to see other people fight the battles of life when he simply comes in and takes the spoils. Curse Mirage because they did not come to help. And all of a sudden, I couldn't help but think of when you said, bringest thou no curse? All of a sudden, no, it's like, bringest thou a curse, you know, because... Cowards! Yeah, exactly. When you see somebody fighting the battles of life, don't just come to pick up the, the free stuff. Come and help. Yeah. So there's a lot there, but so that I thought, yeah... So much to take away. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. This is one of those that, again, I could just dwell on it for, for days. No kidding. Yeah. And we hope you enjoyed it, Snake Birds, as well, because it was, man, it's a fascinating story. It is. So, yeah. Um, if you're out there and you're saying, hey, these profiles are, are making an impact with me, we'd love to hear that. You can connect with us through email to let us know that uh, by sending us an email. Our email is connect at basnakebird.com or you can also send us a message through our Facebook page. Um, and we'd ask that you like us on Facebook if you can. And then uh, we go through this where we ask you to, to rate us and review us and subscribe. And, and really that does a lot for us and it goes a long way. It really does. And, and like Josh says, please reach out. Let us know, hey, could you do a little more of this or a little less of that? Whatever it may be. Um, let us know how we're doing. And if you have prayer requests, if you have uh, anything you'd like to get in touch with us about, uh, please, please contact us. And uh, Josh already said it. I'll say it again. You don't know how much it would help us if you could give us a good rating. That really helps the algorithms push us out to more people. And uh, we're all about just spreading the gospel here. This is not about views. It's not about any of that. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. And thank you for sharing us. It's really um a lot of encouragement when we hear people and feedback of saying, Hey, I like the show. And oh, I was, I was telling my, uh, so-and-so about this the other day. And, and just, um, that encouragement that we receive, uh, it really bolsters us to keep going and mm -hmm. keep doing this because this is our heart and we feel like we're reaching people with this and, and we're not going to stop, but we yeah. would like to be able to reach more 
again, not for numbers, yeah. but for uh, a greater influence. Well, and think about this too: the the future has become uh, avenues like podcasts. Yeah, um, where where missionary, missionaries might not be able to go, podcasts can. Absolutely. And uh, just in our last five episodes, we've we've seen. Uh, uh, activity in, in many different countries yeah. uh, listening to the Snake Bird podcast. No, that's not a bragging right thing. That's where, like I said, where missionaries can't go, sometimes a podcast can. Shockingly globally, so yeah. yeah. So. Try to say that six times fast. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we really so. appreciate yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Amen. So always remember, Snake Birds, whatever you do, and wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, even if it's iron chariots. That's right. There's never been a better time to follow and trust in the words of Jesus. And be a, a snake, snake bird. bird.